the lot is, you know, let's say 10,000 square feet. By right, I could build a box and that box I could then cut up into whatever many units I, I feel comfortable with. But essentially, I've got to keep my eye on the prize and what would a renter at the end of the day want to rent in terms of square footage. Best ever listeners, I want to mention Lima One Capital and I found out about them through a guest that I was interviewing on the show and he mentioned how he was scaling his business. He was actually buying 10 single family homes within one year. And I asked him, how were you able to buy 10 single family homes and how were you financing that? He's like, oh, well, I just use an asset-based lender. I was like, who is that? And he told me it's Lima One Capital. I reached out to them afterwards, got to know them, and they are the sponsor of today's episode because they've got some unique lending programs. Uh, One of them is called Rental 30, where, as I mentioned, they're an asset-based lender. So They're lending based on the property's appraised value, as well as they look at the down payment that you're bringing to the table and the cash reserves. Uh, They'll lend up to 75% loan to value. And this is huge. This is huge because typically as a single family investor, uh, your lending strength is based on your personal income, as well as how many properties you have, how many loans you have out. There's no restrictions on portfolio size with their Rental 30 program. Go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. Sign up, learn more about their program. That's lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. They also have a program for fix and flippers. Even if you haven't done a fix and flip, they'll still lend to you. They've been in the business uh, since 2010. So they've been around the block. They know their underwriting guidelines. They're not loosey-goosey, but they do have a very specific uh, criteria um, that helps beginning fix and flippers get their fix and flip projects done, as well as experienced fix and flippers. They reward you as an experienced fix and flipper, and you actually get a lower interest rate and lower origination fee. Again, go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. And some legal stuff I have to say, it is Lima One Capital LLC. And the NMLS ID number is 1324403. And their address is 201 East McBee Avenue, Suite 300, Greenville, South Carolina, 29601. Again, lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. If you're looking for a fix and flip loan or if you're looking for a buy and hold investment property and you're trying to finance it and you want it to be asset based, lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners. Hello, hello. Happy best ever weekend. I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday. And uh, well, this is a show called the best real estate investing advice ever. I'm Joe Fairless, and because it's Sunday, we're doing a special segment, and you're a loyal best ever listener, so I know you know what the segment is. It's Skill Set Sunday, where we talk about a specific skill in real estate, or that can be applied to real estate, but in this case, it's going to be in real estate. That will help you so that by the end of our conversation, if you choose to decide to enter into this type of approach, this tactic that we're going to be talking about, then you're going to know a lot more. You won't be able to master it because it takes some time, but you're going to know a lot more and we're going to help you get the 101 foundational knowledge from this episode. And with us today to guide us through that is Reed Goosens. How are you doing, Reed? G'day, Joe. How's it going, mate? 
Hey, good day, mate. It's going well. <laughs> I just love talking to you. And one of the words that you say, um, by the way, reads the uh, host of a very insightful podcast called Investing in the U.S. and Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. Now, what I was going to say is I just love it on your podcast when you say Kraken. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just a fan of cracking deals. I mean, I, I, I picked deals. that up. Yeah, people yeah. in Cincinnati look at me very strange, as they should whenever I say that, because I don't have your cool accent. But uh, everyone everyone asks me every now and then, "What's a cracking deal?" Read, and I was like, "It just means a pipe in hot deal or something that is, <laughs> it's cracking, you know." So <laughs> I love how you went from cracking to piping hot. I mean, yeah, just, well, they're, it they're, just means it's it's a slam dunk. I don't know. Insert word here. <laughs> Well, Reed has invested in a lot of Kraken deals already from a personal standpoint. He has property in New York and Pennsylvania. He's based in Los Angeles. He came to the United States in 2012 to pursue a career in structural engineering. And he went from uh, purchasing a small duplex to owning uh, real estate in those states that I just mentioned. He now focuses on syndication of large apartment communities. You can say hi to him and hear some of the episodes from his podcast, rsnpropertygroup.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about re-entitlement. If you don't know what re-entitlement is, then Reed's going to walk us through it. If you do, then Reed's going to tell us how to approach re-entitlement based on his experience as a structural engineer as well as a deal that he's working on right now in Los Angeles. With that being said, Reed, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background, and then let's kick it off about uh, re-entitlement. Thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, it's been a, a good year and a half since I've been on this show again, but it's uh, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, so my background, as you mentioned, is instructional engineering. I, I, met, I can safely say and uh, confidently say that I'm a, a recovering structural engineer because I have I'm no longer in engineering anymore. No, I'm in real estate development full time. Um, and my background spans from I graduated in 07 and moved to the United States in 2012 and started purchasing real estate and has got me to this point where I am syndicating on, on larger properties and really enjoying my time here in the United States and started uh, a podcast to help my reach across the globe. And uh, yeah, really just sort of working on on my brand. So that's uh, that's sort of what I'm doing on the side. But then in terms of the deals, I'm getting involved in re-entitlement. So I don't know if you want me to dive straight into what yeah, re-entitlement yeah. is, Joe. Yeah, please do. Can you first define it so we can understand it a little bit? What I'm focused on is multifamily re-entitlement. So I'm I'm looking at taking an existing property and getting it to its highest and best use. Now, now what do I mean by highest and best use? Well, you know, obviously, every city around the United States has been developing over the last hundred and whatever, 50 years, 200 years. And, and over that time, property has been built. And solely, I focus a little bit on um, finding a property, say it's a duplex or a triplex, um, but it's on a larger lot. And by right, I can build more units. So I look at the zoning and the zoning is just simply a set of plans or a set of uh, regulations and, and set up by the city. And that might be the city of Los Angeles or the city of Long Beach, or it could be any city. It could be the city of New York, um, could be Philadelphia city, which I've also had experience in. And you go to their website and you, and they've got all the information there. It's all there. And it just says, look, this property is zoned X. And in my case, I look for R4, R standing 
for multifamily abilities. And I look for properties which maybe only have, say, four units on it. But then by right, I could build, say, 25 units. And so I go to the city and I say, hey, city, I have looked at your plans. Uh, I've looked at your regulations. I think I, by right, I can build these 25 units because the person who b- built this building back in the 50s or 60s, you know, maybe the, the zoning was different back then and they could only build a duplex or a triplex. And now it's 2016 and zoning changes and density and the increased push for uh, higher density and, and affordable housing and all that good stuff as space gets harder and harder to find in big metropolitan areas. They might change the, the the zoning over that time, and I don't know when it's changed. I don't look at that, but I just know that right now it's zoned R four, and R four means that by right in the city of Los Angeles, I could build three times. It's called an FAR uh, floor area ratio, three times the footprint of the lot. So if the lot is, you know, let's say ten thousand square feet, by right I could build a box. Uh, and that box is could be up to thirty thousand square feet, and that box I could then cut up into whatever many units I, I feel comfortable with, you know, there's a minimum size unit I can cut it into, but essentially I've got to keep it to, got to keep my eye on the prize and what would a renter at the end of the day want to rent in terms of square footage. So, you know, as new developments come on the market, the, the developers are pushing the size of these apartments smaller and smaller so they can split that box with the FAR into smaller and smaller parcels. And so I, I go and get some an architect involved and I'll get a, a structural engineer and I'm, I'm a structural engineer, a covering structural engineer, and I'll get some drawings done. I'll get some, uh, I'll put a whole package together and I'll go to the city and say, hey, city, by right, I think I can build this. And we will sit down with the city and over the course of three to six to seven, eight months, we will go back and forth and we will talk about you know different things that this building needs to look like. And at the end of it, they will say, I agree with you, Reed. Yes, you can build this. Here's a stamp. And you can now have what's called permitted drawings or a re-entitled piece of land. Now, you can at that point sell that piece of land or property for a higher value because you have gone through the process of re-entitling or you could actually execute on the construction and build yourself whatever you told the city you're going to build because you can build it by right so hopefully that's explained a little bit about the background of what re-entitlement is i said a lot of different stuff there so i'm sure you have a ton of questions (laughs) (laughs) i do i mean you 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 boil it down to a pretty straightforward three-step process you go find the property and identify what it's zoned at and see if it's maximized the current zoning allocation two you go to the city and you say, I want to build this because it's currently zoned this and it's not maximizing that. And then three, you actually get re-entitled. So yeah, there, there are lots of questions I have uh, in between those three steps. Let's go with the first question on the first step of finding the property and look at the zoning. The R4 designation, is that name something different in every city? Good question. Um, I'm familiar with it in Los Angeles and um, New York and Philadelphia. I don't want to quote. I don't want to quote on if it's called something else. I, I think it is R4 across the the country, but don't quote me on that. I, I'll okay. probably get a lot of emails saying, uh, <laughs> "No, you're wrong." <laughs> I just know that in in Los Angeles right now, uh, you, you start with R1 and you go up to R4, then you get into the, the C's, which stand for commercial, and you, we can we can you know there's a whole slew of it. But but just listeners, just know that all this information is available on any county website uh you just got to read it and be be you know want to read it (laughs) yeah okay and now the second step the city you're sharing the plans with the city 
and you show them what you want to build based on the current plans. Do you have to have an architect and a structural engineer? Or can you just go up there and say, it's zoned for 20 units, it's only got four, so just give me the piece of paper to re-entitle it? Uh, unfortunately not. The city's job is to ensure that what new buildings are coming on the market, even if it's a small residential home, they want to see that it's not it's in line with what the, the 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 what's called the urban plan is, and that it meets. You know, you don't want to just go and build an an ugly stucco box. <laughs> you, you, the city wants to see that if you're going to build something new, it's going to add value to the neighbourhood. It's going to um, meet the neighbourhood criteria, and there's a whole slew of things, and that's why you have the back and forth between the city, and you need to present a plan. You can't just say, "Oh, I've got this in my mind." You know, here's a crappy bit of paper with some drawings on it. You need to in, employ a professional to do those drawings, and they will. You know, you'll sit down and you'll you'll, you'll strategize about the type of size of units and and how you want the building to look, and you want it to fit in with the neighborhood and the sort of the, the to maximize um, your rents at the end of the day because that's what you're wanting to do. So you want a, a modernized building, or it might be in a certain neighborhood that is more historical. So you'll be looking for a historical type of look. It really depends, and that's where the architects design and flair will come in and so yeah that you have to you have to you have to go armed with a set of plans you can't just rock up with a, a notebook and say hey i've got a really good idea unfortunately not <laughs> what team members must you have in order to do that and what are the costs so the team members from a basic standpoint you need an architect a very good you need not a very good you just need an architect who is knowledgeable in this particular space which is multifamily dwellings you don't want to get someone who's an architect in high-rise structures because that's a completely different architect. So you need to get a good architect, a local architect who is knowledgeable about that sort of stuff. You'll need to get what's called uh, an expediter. And some, sometimes architects have those in, in-house, which when I mean in-house within the company. And that's just someone who is constantly bugging the city because once you submit the drawings, obviously like any government job, a lot of people are submitting drawings and, you know, you can get lost in the noise. So uh, an expediter is someone who just constantly calls the city every week and say, how's those drawings going? How, have you looked at those drawings yet? Have you got any comments? Can we come and meet with you? So you need, you need one of those. You're probably going to need uh, an architect will, will then go and employ a structural engineer to give you a, an overall view of what are we going to build this thing out of? Is it going to be concrete? Is it going to be wood? Is it going to be steel? And that will sort of, they will develop some drawings and they will also go in, um, you look you look at some, you know, you're going to need to have a civil engineer on board. And this is all sort of, the architect will, will manage this. Uh, they will manage getting their team together and you just sort of, you're the developer. So you, you say, hey, I'll make sure you've got a good team and that you've got all the drawings that are needed that the city is going to require. And they will go get those specific consultants on board. Um, in terms of cost, uh, costing, it really depends on the size of the job. An, an architect's fee will vary because it really depends on the the stages in which you go and re-entitle the job. So when you first submit to the city, you don't have to have a set of plans that is thoroughly vetted and, you know, it's got all the details. You just have to have a set of plans that is, you know, clean, describe what you want to do, describe the existing use of it and sort of the overall general structural uh, elements and that's sort of really it. And as you as and that was called a, a planning commission review, and they will just do the high level review of I agree with what you're doing, Reed. 
I agree with the fact that you you're correct in wanting to put you know whatever the size units are, and once they give that pr- uh, planning approval, then you go into what's called building and safety, and that's where you need a more polished set of plans, and they will, you'll go back and forth with oh we want to have a certain type of f- facade, or we want to have these type of balconies, and we get into the nitty gritty, but that that's sort of later on down the the reentitlement process. So the initial phase is just getting the city to sign off to hey I agree with what you're doing. So yes. So how much does it cost? Um, well, for like, say, 25 units that I'm doing here in, in, in LA, you know, you're probably going to spend, I don't know, uh, like in a total re-entitlement process, maybe $200,000. But that $200,000 is a combination of architects' fees, a combination of city fees. And you've got, you, must, you, people might get sticker shock with, with $200,000, but you've got to remember it's just a line item and you've got to understand how to underwrite these deals so that you know that the end value, you're making in excess of that end value combined with, combined with what you're purchasing the deal for so like when you maybe on a single family property you want to replace the roof when you first starting looking at that you think oh a roof's going to cost i don't know fifteen thousand dollars you think wow that's a lot of money fifteen thousand dollars to replace a roof but it's just a necessity that you have to do and it's a line item because you know that you're going to flip that property to be worth more if it's a single family house and that will cover the cost of you know the the the, the replaced roof like in like with an architect the the end value will be so much greater than what the cost is um, for the addition of the architecture fees, the purchasing the land, and, and any of your time that you spend. Once you get the reentitlement piece and you now have got it approved, so step three, you can either build it or you can sell the plans. But what if the buying group doesn't have the same exact vision? that you got approved, do they then have to go through the process again? They don't have to go through the process again. They might, and, and I've seen it done a few times working in the structural engineering firm um, back in the day. We'd, have, we'd design it from a structural engineering point of view one way. A couple months later, it comes back through the door with a different ownership logo on the plans, and that might be because they, they might want to change um they might want to add some penthouses or they might have another floor or they want some larger balconies and it's slightly changing the structural integrity of the building so you need needs another look at a pass at it that then would be what's called an addendum and you can you've got the initial planning approval from the the, the building uh, sorry from the city and you go back into the city and say, hey, look, this is what we originally were going to build. We're going to have to do some slight tweaks to it and we're going to submit an addendum um, and that will be after that. So it's, it's, it's a lot easier process to tweak and change things once you've got that original permit. So let's talk profitability because you know that $200,000 line item of upfront costs, I think it's important to talk about how much you could make uh, so that we can put that in perspective. How much can you make on this? Like, so and, and you can use whatever example you want. I mean, you yeah. said 200k for LA, the 25 units. So if you want to do that one, this particular property I'm looking at in in LA, it's um, 8,000 square foot. It's got a duplex on it. Uh, the owner wants 1.35 million for it. Um, we're trying to do some owner's carryback financing, which is quite you know creative. But then once we've also gotten creative with the architect as well, they are just getting an upfront fee of 15K and then they're going to have a back-end equity portion of it. So to do all that, let's just say the round numbers are from 1.3 um, plus 200,000, it's 1.5 million bucks to get it through re-entitlements. It probably, if you sold the plans as is, you'd probably sell it for around $2 million. Um, so you make you know a, health, a nice profit of a half a million bucks or $400,000 in about a, 
an eight to 12 month process. And obviously you've got to find people. There's a lot of people out there who don't want to go through the process of dealing with the city. Once you've, if you sell it, you make a nice little profit, you walk away, you know, great stuff. You can move on to another deal. If you do want to go and construct it, that's a different kettle of fish. But, you know, on on this particular building that I'm building, it's going to be around $8 million to build it. And, you know, financing, I must add, once you've got the re-entitlement process and the permitting, financing is so much more readily available unlike in flipping a house your arv they some people will lend on the arv the after repair value the after and title value people don't necessarily lend on because it's you know it's a higher risk perceived high risk but we won't get into that so say we're all into the deal for i don't know nine million bucks the arv or the after what the deal will probably be worth if you look just purely on noi would be around 13 and a half million dollars in about a 24 month period by the time you construct it and stabilize it 20 you know maybe a little bit more than that it's from from buying the deal to re-entitling it to building it to stabilizing it and then selling it so that's the sort of rough figures what percentage of the time do the architecture fees and the other fees that are up front in the re-entitlement process, what percentage of the time do you not get the green light or the stamp of approval and those fees are sunk? But that's a good question. This is where it comes back to making sure you're understanding the zoning. And the, the key the key takeaway word is buy right. I can buy, buy right, I can build 25 units. I'm not asking the city. And that, that's B-Y- yeah. New word, R-A-G-H-T, correct? That's correct. So to buy right, this particular piece of land can have X amount of units on it. Just buy I don't have to go to the city and say, hey, city, I like this piece of land as it is, but I want to change the zoning to a different complete zoning. And that's a, that's that's an uphill battle where you could there's a high potential for them to say no. The second thing is um, understanding the need of what the city wants. And the city, most cities want affordable housing or medium-income housing. So... You can say, uh, "City by right, I can build this. Uh, I can build 25 units. I know, I, I know. I, but, but to add a sweetener to it, I, I might have three of those units or four of those units be medium income housing for you. What, what do you think about that?" And they will say, "Well, look, that's great. I, you, you can already go and build 25 units at market rate. But just to sweeten the deal and maybe get through the city a bit quicker, you might throw a." Uh, um, something at them is say that I, I'm going to give you some low-cost housing because that's what every city is yearning for. There's a lot of new market stuff hitting the market and whether it be New York or LA or San Francisco, but affordable housing is a, is a big need in each city. So typically, back to your sunk cost question, if it's buy right, then it's buy right. You know, the, If you're presenting a strong case and you've got a good team and a good architecture team around you, they're not going to not do it because you can you're allowed to build that's the that's the law that's the regulations there seems to be though a lot of gray area whenever you've got the re-entitlement process to the point that you've got the architect involved and it seems like they could come up with a billion different nuances for why they don't like your plan and it would while they wouldn't disapprove it because by right you can have that they would say, yeah, you need to go back and do this. You need to go back and do this. And it would, they would just have an understood, maybe unspoken rule amongst themselves just not to approve you. That is the perceived risk. And then it comes down. So it comes down to making sure that your, uh, your team, your architecture team is, is credible and has done this in the past. And that's what I said, making sure that they've got experience in multifamily industry, um, building these things in, in whatever city you're in. They have a relationship with the city. They're known to the city. That all helps because at the end of the day, they want something that is, um, 
you know, the city wants uh, more housing. That's why I was talking about the affordable housing aspect of it. That helps you a lot in being smart with what you're presenting to the city. For something, say, a, uh, a I don't know, a two-unit that you want to make into a four-unit, does the same process have to take place or is there like a, a shortened version for a smaller revision? It's not shortened. It's the same thing whether it's residential and that's, you know, if you're going from a duplex to a fourplex, that would be the same process if you went from a duplex to 12 units. Um, it's, it. still, it's still the same process. It's just, uh, and it's not necessarily what they say easier or less. It just, the cost to build two, or the, you know, as a buy right, I could build 12. So why would you build two? You know what I mean? So, right. yeah. All right, Reed. Is there anything else you want to mention to the best ever listeners? No, but uh, if you can go check out my new podcast, and uh, if you're if anyone is interested in getting involved in some re-entitlement deals here here in LA, and they understand that type of investing, please uh, reach out, and uh, you know I'd love to chat about it. And what's the best place the best ever listeners can get a hold of you? You can email me directly at Reed. That's R E E D at rsnpropertygroup.com or you can check out my podcast which is Investing in the US and Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate. Well, there you go. It was We talked about the three steps to multifamily re-entitlement and number one is you need to know what the zoning is and how many units the property currently has. Number two, go find a team and uh, reach out to the city and talk to them about what you're planning on doing once you have the plans. And then three, get that stamp of approval and then figure out if you want to develop it or sell the property that is now re-entitled. So thank you so much, Reed, for being on the show today, spending your weekend with us. Hope you have a best ever Sunday and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. Do you need more leads for your real estate business and do you need a platform to help you get those leads? Well, Danny Johnson, previous best ever guest, episode 294, has exactly the solution for you, best ever listeners. Go to leadpropeller.com and that's going to help you, well, get more leads. He's got a website service that you can sign up for. It's a money back guarantee for the first 30 days, so no risk involved leadpropeller.com. You can also click the link in the show notes page and that will take you right there.